On episode 83 of DevTalk, I speak to Marius Montian about the hidden features of Redis. Welcome to another episode of DevTalk. My name is Kerry Lothrop, and today's guest is Marius Montian. Marius is a software engineer at Zulke, like I am, and so we're colleagues, and he's more, let's say, not on the mobile side, I would say, like me, and more cloud-focused, but that's something I'm working on right now, and... So I thought it would be a good idea to get him on and to get back more into to cloud topics like we did uh, in, in previous episodes. So hello, Marius. Hi, Kerry. Thank you for taking the time. I know your your time is valuable because you you know cloud engineering. That's right. But thanks for having me. I was really excited when I got the chance to get onto your podcast. So here I am. You are, so, so I, I already gave it away. Your main focus right now is cloud. Is that right? That's right. Although I did do some sermon in the past. I do remember. We could talk about that, but I'd like to talk about something else this evening. <laughs> that's that's perfectly fine. No, uh, it's deliberately not labeled a Xamarin podcast, though I do admit maybe over half of the episodes have that topic. So, so what's your typical role in in projects that you do? In the past, it was just a straight software engineering role. Mm-hmm. In the last one and a half years, let's say two roughly, it started to shift, be more of a team lead uh, and a lot of customer contact. So I'm mm-hmm. roughly half of my time talking to the customer clarifying requirements, clarifying domain aspects, unblocking stuff, taking decisions where I can, or even representing the customer in their interactions with other partners. Okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a thin line I have to straddle because <laughs> you can imagine representing the customer where, when you're an extern yourself. Yeah. But that's it's something I like. It's something that seems to be working fine. And the other half of the time, I'm just developing like any other software engineer. Okay, but that means you're moving away from the the real techie side. Does that mean you can afford to not uh, read all the Azure announcements, for example, or the, the cloud announcements? I can't afford it. Okay. Uh, so I'm still reading them, but fortunately, I love my job and it's also my passion. So I'm investing a lot of personal time into mm-hmm. the topic. So even if I wouldn't get to code at all at the job, I would still stay in contact, stay in touch with everything okay. there is to know about Azure. Although that sounds as, as if I'm the Azure god, which I'm not, but I'm still very passionate about it. Okay. Do you just just curious? Do you listen to any podcasts on that specifically? Yes. Ah. Yeah. Any suggestions off the top of your head? There's a few of them. There's .NET Rocks. I think everyone knows it because it's yeah. a really old. I listened to that one too. Yeah, I'm blanking on the on the on another one which is just on cloud. I want to say cloud. I don't remember the name, uh, but that's specifically uh, for for Azure development or cloud in general. Sometimes web development, and yeah. it's it's full of all the announcement and all the all the goodies that are published. And it's a lot. Okay, cool. Uh, well, I, I can put those links in the show notes. You, you told me before we, we had a little chat and you told me there there is something that you 
focused on. Uh, we were we were I've said this before. We have like a, a camp at work where we meet for four days. It was in a hotel near Heidelberg this year, and we were sitting in the same room for some of the time at least. And you were working on something very specific that had fascinated you. What was that? Yeah, it's the I don't know. I should call it. It's my newest tech obsession. Okay. Um, it's Redis, mm-hmm. and it's specifically about things which are not straightforward. Uh, you can do with Redis. At least they weren't for me a few m- months ago. Mm-hmm. But now I'm finding out Redis can do a lot more, and uh, about that a lot more is what I'm. I want to talk to you today about. Great. So when I hear Redis, I think like a, a really fast caching method uh, store, or how, how would you describe it? That's that's already that goes in the right direction. It's a network cache, if you want to name it like that. It's mm-hmm. a distributed cache as well. It's super fast indeed. Basically, you can put whatever information you want there under a key and it's super fast to write and also retrieve later they always talk about sub millisecond operations and there's a reason why it's so fast it's all in memory okay but distributed that means you can have it on different nodes different continents uh how how does that work yeah yeah i mean you can start just simply with a single node and then you connect to it straightforward with your uh login credentials, and then you, you do the normal operations like uh, writing and reading keys and their values. But then there's at least two other modes uh, you can deploy it. One is behind a gateway, mm-hmm. which allows you to use a cluster of Redis nodes. And it's it abstracts away the fact that it's a cluster behind you just talk to a single URL, let's say, you okay. do your normal operations and the cluster, uh, the gateway uh, figures out to which replica it has to communicate. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other way, which is faster, and it's even recommended by Redis Labs, the creators of Redis. And that is your backend should know explicitly about how many uh, replicas there are. And based on the key, uh, it should decide to which instance it should communicate and that decision saves you at least one additional network hop and brings you a bit of speed and if you name your keys with a predictable scheme you can implement once in an abstraction layer in your backend the logic to decide to which instance you're talking and then from there on it's there's no more overhead or no no other complexity let's say so your okay. your backend decides to which instance I, it talks. My, my, the code that I write decides w- which node to go to. Okay. Yes. I know it sounds maybe a bit strange, but that's a canonical way, which Redis Labs lists as an official way to do it. And mm-hmm. they're really focused on performance, so not just yeah. on, on the server itself, but also on the network communication. And they've um, uh, designed the protocol to be as lightweight as possible and the operations that you uh, you can use and send uh, and I have the impression their focus on speed also reflects in the way you can architect your backend and distribute your instances and talk to them so that's why mm-hmm. they don't discourage this way of talking to a cluster okay and but what are the the traditional use cases of this why why would I choose to use 
a network cache? There's a few reasons. First of all, uh, you would cache your results just because they might be expensive to compute. That's the mm -hmm. first and most straightforward reason, but you could use a cache on the backend itself. But then you have to think, okay, we're living in 2022. <laughs> Everything's in the cloud. It scales, uh, ideally, if your architecture allows, but it should. It scales horizontally. So you might have a lot of instances of uh, a backend service there. And if one of them did the hard work computed something really expensive and had the result, if you cache it not in memory on that instance, but on a network cache, all the other instances of your service can immediately profit from that because the first thing they do is check the cache if the result is already there. Mm -hmm. And if so, just retrieve it and return it. No expensive computation needed. So that's why you would use a cache and specifically a network cache. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking about all the caches I've implemented in my... <laughs> many years as a developer it, it i mean it's a very common thing that you say okay this uh you have to look up this in the database well let's just just cache this whatever came back from the database and but then we have to worry about i mean isn't that one of the the hard things in uh computer science is uh caching right yeah it's, it's uh, not I've not easy naming things and caching validation yeah and off by one errors if you yeah, yeah that too. The, the, the two things, right? <laughs> Naming things, cache invalidation, and off by one errors. <laughs> Although I know another, uh, another saying like that, there's okay. no problem in computer science that cannot be solved by an additional abstraction layer. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, so you write your own your own cache, and if you're developing a Windows desktop application, you don't think about how. Yeah, going for a network cache. If you're developing a cloud ad application, that would be, well, you always think of what, what service that my cloud provider provides has solved this problem that I have right now, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, then you would be inclined to use something like that. Right, but Redis is... Um really beloved by the community. I think yeah. it's one of the most uh, loved technologies and databases. Mm. I, I spoiled uh, something there, but yeah, it's one of the most beloved databases. Uh, and since it's that liked by the community, it's available on all the major cloud uh, platforms and you're actually not tied to any cloud. So you can host it yourself uh, if you want to. Okay. Or you can use uh, Redis Cache Azure Redis Cache. They they have a weird naming there. Azure Cache for Redis, something like that. You can <laughs> use that as well. So don't want to manage the scaling aspect of it yourself. Yeah. Okay. So, but you that sounded like you're you're going to talk about some other uses that are that wouldn't be considered a typical cache scenario, right? That's right. All right. So then let's just uh, jump right into it. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about is the data structures that you can use in Redis. So normally you just um, save a string under a key and then you're happy. You can retrieve it later, it's super fast, and you deserialize the data on your backend if the data is structured in some way. Mm -hmm. and nowadays it's probably JSON, but might be anything. But um, if your data gets large, Let's say you're storing a large 
JSON document, which just grows organically because that's how you designed it. Yeah. You might not want to retrieve the whole document at once. Mm -hmm. uh, you might only retrieve parts of it, which interests you, uh, which interest you. So the first data structure that you might use in that uh, situation is uh, what's normally called a hash map, but on Red, this is just called a hash. Okay. It's It's got the same operations that you you would have on a normal uh, hash map. So you create the hash map itself under a key in Redis, and then itself, the hash map itself then has another level of keys and values, exactly ah. like a hash map. Okay. And every value can be other data types. That you can nest them, is what, I wanted, what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. So you can incrementally uh, put data specifically on, into a hash at the key, at the nested key, whatever you want, precisely at the location where it makes sense, and only uh, transport the data that's actually needed over the wire. You don't have to retrieve the whole thing, deserialize, add one key, serialize, send back. So that makes sense. So, yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's their focus on performance. You only shift the data that's actually needed to go over the wire and. When you retrieve it, you can also do it like that, or you can retrieve retrieve the whole thing. Okay, but hash map sounds like it's unsorted data, right? Is That's, it always that? Yes, it's unsorted. I'm not quite sure what you what you mean. Well, if I'm thinking about data structures, sometimes I have like, or, or let's 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 talk JSON, right? You mm -hmm. have objects where you have keys and values, and then you have arrays where you just have have a long list of things, but it's important which order these things have. I guess right. you could use a hash map and just call them zero, one, and two. You're right. They also support lists, and mm -hmm. lists give you exactly what you what you are after. So okay. you can cool. then uh, add stuff at a certain index and retrieve a certain index. Mm -hmm. And it's got exactly the same or the the, the um, operation set that you might expect. So cool. we talked about hash. We talked about lists briefly. Uh, I think everyone is familiar with them and I wouldn't uh, spend too much time on mm -hmm. them. The next thing I want to mention here is um, sets and sorted sets. These are some really cool uh, data structures. Okay. Those sets, you might know them as uh, hash sets, just uh, a collection of items and it guarantees uniqueness. Mm -hmm. And you've got your constant lookup time, which is also really nice. But sorted sets yeah. are similar, except that you can give every element a ranking. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can increment or decrement the ranking of your elements. And um, it leads to really efficient implementations of certain use cases. So at the Tulke camp that you mentioned, I wanted to look into the many features of Redis, and uh, I invented a use case for myself, just a contrived one, which forces me to use as many features as possible. And one mm -hmm. of them was I'm ingesting tweets from the live Twitter stream, at least the 1% uh, stream, which I'm allowed to use for free. The normal okay. stream costs a lot. And uh, one thing I'm doing with the tweets is I'm scanning them for hashtags and pumping them into a Redis instance. And then I wanted to very efficiently be able to tell what's the top 100 hashtags. So what's yeah. the current trending topics right now? 
And with the sorted set, you can uh, easily implement that because every time you encounter a hashtag in your tweet, you just send it to your sorted set and you say or you, you tell Redis in the same operation where you add the hashtag in case it's there, just increment its rank by one. So yep. I'm just live pumping hash, uh, hashtags there. And with the single operation, I can then ask from that hash set, give me the top 10, top, uh, top 100, top 1,000 entries already sorted. So the database does that for you. You don't have to do any any computation on your on your backend. Yeah, cool. So it's simple, but it's efficient. And I like it. All right. There's a few other ones. Um, to be honest, I didn't use them. Uh, they might be interesting to the listeners. So I encourage everyone to just look up uh, Redis data structures. Uh, I'm sure there's there, there's something for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, just let your imagination fly when you read through the documentation. And I'm sure you can find something. Yeah. All right. Then the next thing I wanted to mention is Redis modules, which is the next level, so to say, of extending your Redis instance with magic capabilities. Redis modules allow you to uh, add completely new features to Redis. There's, There's an official API, a C API, which everyone can use to develop modules. Okay. And um, there's a few official ones developed by Redis Labs, but also many, many from the community and they're all uh, featured on the Redis Labs documentation, the modules documentation. And the first uh, module I want to mention because I'm using it and I'm very happy with it is um, Redis JSON. So, all of a sudden, you are not restricted to adding data in the data structures that I mentioned, but you can add full JSON documents mm-hmm. and they are fully indexed and searchable. Oh, yes. So they call it adding secondary indices to your data just because yeah. the first index is your key to address your document, but then you can search for content of your document. Okay, cool. That allows for really advanced use cases and also efficient implementation. So if your use case uh, is compatible with storing your data as uh, documents, like in a document DB, you would just uh, pump them into Redis, into Redis JSON, and you would create what's called uh, an index where you just tell Redis these documents Uh, might have a shape which contains an element of type number. So please index that. Or at another level, might Mm -hmm. contain a property of type text. So let me do text searches on that. Even if you can even search, I don't know the exact term for it, but you can even search for words which are just similar to uh, your text. So it doesn't have to be a perfect match. You can miss misspell San Francisco to something really, really weird. And if it's close enough, it it knows you meant San Francisco or uh, San Francisco might be a match. So you would receive that document as a search result. 
Cool. So that's really, really nice of them that they implemented that, but it goes way beyond that. They also support fields like, uh, or data types inside these documents uh, with the type geolocation. So if I'm coming back to my example from before with my tweet ingestion service, uh, you can imagine the tweets either originate from users who shared their location or they talk about uh, known locations and Twitter okay. is so nice to add meta information about the tweet containing that geolocation. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you can then run queries like give me tweets from Munich or give me the newest tweets around a certain geolocation. If you're interested about people tweeting, tweeting from Antarctica or something like that. Okay. And uh, it's super efficient if the database does that for you, you would just query for tweets or for JSON documents, which have in a certain field of theirs, the geolocation stored and the delta between that geolocation and something you provide, let's say the center of Munich, Marienplatz. Okay. If you know the geolocation of that, it immediately computes that on the database itself and gives you the results. Yeah, I, I was going to ask if it's uh, based on latitude, longitude. That's or, exactly how it is. Um, or by like tag Munich or some hierarchical form. Okay, no, cool. Yeah. I, I know like, uh, I know SQL Server, Microsoft SQL Server has that as a feature that you could, you could store and you could say like radius of something around this geolocation mm-hmm. uh, as a wear condition, for example. But yeah, that that's cool to have that in there. The semantics are pretty much the same. Okay. But it's just something that's built in. So you don't have to think too much about it. In the same context of Redis JSON, I want to mention uh, to mention another library from Redis Labs. They call it Redis OM. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can think about it almost like Redis ORM, but there's no relational thing. It's just Redis object mapping. Oh, okay. Yeah, they have it for multiple languages like uh, Python, JavaScript, and .NET, of course, because of course, which is really nice for us .NET developers because the library offers an API which is really similar to EF Core okay. and allows you to do queries and aggregations on top of uh, the data which you have in your Redis JSON. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to deal with learning a new query syntax because there is one for Redis uh, search. You can just write or stay in your object-oriented world, write your link and fire off the query and the library takes care of um, generating the query for you. Cool. And this is another module or? No, this is just a, just a library, just a C-sharp library, okay. which, uh, which I can wholeheartedly recommend uh, mm-hmm. because in my experience, it works really well. And um, the guys that develop it uh, are really, really active on Discord. I recently had some issues with the library yeah. and I just stumbled upon the Discord uh, support channel. I mm-hmm. think I complained. I mean, I asked for help uh, on a Monday and uh, by Wednesday, they live solved it or fixed it on Twitch. And we were Ooh. on Twitch. I mean, I was just in the chat, but uh, uh, Steve Lorello and Guy Royce are the people who solved my issue. Uh, they they were just super nice and fast and explained everything and were live coding and were joking on the side with me. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I really oh, that, like that. That's an experience. Yeah, I've I've had that once, and it was awesome. Not not this was before Twitch, but like six hours later, you get a blog post with a half hour YouTube stream for an open source project. That was really impressive. <laughs> that I can imagine. That's really cool. What was it? It was for MVVM Cross. Ah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. And uh, just to top it off, one week later, the same thing happened again because apparently oh. I was using some, I don't know, maybe it, it was advanced features or maybe I complained the loudest, I don't know, but they decided to take my second issue as serious as the first one. Uh -huh. So I, uh, I've got uh, live support from them two weeks in a row. Cool. Once one, one thing had to do with running, generating queries from nested collections. I wanted to use just normal uh, link, like a nested property in a link expression. On yeah. that property, I just called contains something else. Mm -hmm. And the library couldn't generate the query properly. They fixed that. And I think the other one just was something related, but I don't remember exactly what it was. So they actually fixed their project and they, they didn't just show you how to do it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it okay. was oh, okay. officially... Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I did the least you can do. I just complained on Discord, not even opened a, a GitHub issue. No. And they, uh, they fixed it. They didn't set it. a PR or anything. They created a PR, everything. Uh, and they even showed me how to get around the issue until the newer version of the library is released. So that was a nice bonus. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That, that That's going to make everybody a fan. So uh, that's just uh, another cherry on top of the Redis. Uh, cake because yeah. my whole experience with the documentation and the server or the database, I should say, was excellent. All right. Yeah. <laughs> then uh, I want to push on with the next uh, few modules. I'm not going to talk too much about them, but still, I think I can mention a few really nice uh, things which they offer. Mm -hmm. The next one is Redis Graph, and it's a module which makes your Redis behave like a graph database. Okay. Have you worked with the graph database? I, I have not, but maybe you could explain it for myself and the listeners. Sure. So I haven't worked professionally with it either, but um, it's a, a database where the basic elements that you use are nodes, edges, and paths. So mm -hmm. longer chains of nodes and edges. And if you notice, you already know the structure of a graph database, and uh, then you only need to start or actually to stop thinking in tables, foreign keys, and joins, and start thinking about nodes and graph traversals and stuff you learned in university and memory never applied <laughs> in your job. Yeah. This is also a module which uh, I could uh, use in my, um, in my pet project. Uh, the way I'm using it is um, Every tweet also obviously has an author, but also has maybe uh, some mentions or mention that that's how they are called in the API or just other users which are mentioned in the tweet. Yeah. And the way I'm, I'm doing it is for every tweet, I'm creating a node with the author and for every mentioned user, so every other user that was mentioned, also creating another node plus mm -hmm. an edge between the nodes. Nodes and edges are just objects, if you want. They can have properties, as many properties as you want. They're just yeah. ba bags of data. Okay. And I'm just uh, 
and they also have types. So you can have many, many millions of nodes and you can group them by their type. And my types are user nodes, for example. So I can do queries like, give me all the users that mentioned this user here through a direct mention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would just write a query for user nodes where there's an edge starting at a random node and ending in my user node. I know it sounds a bit mm -hmm. weird, but they have a really nice um, query language for that. Actually, they didn't invent it. It was something pre-existing. It's called the Cypher query language. Uh, Cypher sounds so fancy. Yeah, like crypto. Yeah, yeah. but it's a... An ASCII art <laughs> query language. That's how they describe it, at least. You make uh, heavy use of brackets and arrows and square brackets and round uh, parentheses and everything. Mm -hmm. And that's how you describe relationships or edges or longer chains or paths of, of your nodes and relationships. Uh, and to be honest, it, it took some getting used to for me. After you get the hang of it, it's really intuitive. So you can, I mean, that's all I wanted to do to see in my tweets who mentioned whom and to have it nicely displayed uh, in a little front end. But then I discovered actually you can do a lot more and you can do even super relevant things. So we're all living in a pandemic, unfortunately, still. Yeah. One 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 use case for a graph database is to track people who get infected and who report it and uh, just create your uh, nodes and edges where you would create an edge from a user who's infected at an earlier point in time. You would create that edge to another user, uh, not user, I shouldn't say user, to another person who got infected afterwards and through the Corona Warn app or something, something else, you would decide mm -hmm. who infected whom. So you would build that graph of uh, infection, and then you you can run really useful queries like how fast the infection spread through a population, or how many yeah. people got infected by that single contact or that group or nucleus of users. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say users. <laughs> user is something I say user. during the time a thousand times <laughs> yeah in my customer projects sorry for that uh, so yeah so um and as i said it's really intuitive when you think about it you just have a node you if you build up the data correctly um it, it opens up use cases like like this and just yeah. imagine having to do something like this on a relational database with joins onto itself from one row to the other. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be nice to do it. No. Um, as a little fun fact, um, I left my um, little pet project uh, running and ingesting tweets. And after some time, I think I had six, 700,000 nodes in my graph database. Mm -hmm. And I would just run queries on my local machine. Uh, and the library I'm using also spits out performance metrics. Yeah. So queries of the sort give me all the users which were mentioned by the other users, by this user, either directly or indirectly through at most five hops. 
were served in seven milliseconds or something like that. So in my opinion, cool. that's super fast. Uh, yeah. Just imagine creating such a long data set. And it's not just direct mentions, as I said, but uh, through paths of variable length. The length is something I'm deciding. So nice. give me all the users who mention directly or indirectly through five friends, let's say this one here. Yeah, so huge fan of that, but still mm. have to learn a lot. Uh, and that's that's my experience with the graph database. Now, yeah. um, that's the extent of the modules, uh, which I have personally experienced, but there's something which I plan to do the next days or weeks uh, because I'm looking into using Redis as a replacement for a database. So not a cache, not a fun thing in your architecture, which mm -hmm. which speeds up things, but as a full full-fledged replacement. And one thing you always do with the databases, uh, with the relational one at least, you always change its schema and then you need to do data migrations. Right. Um, Just did that last week. <laughs> what database do you use? Well, it was uh, Postgres and Entity Framework Core, which nice. really doesn't, it's not a big deal, yeah, but it, it's still, you have to think and uh, worry about how your data gets from here to there. Yeah. Yeah. You always have to think about all, all the things you do, right? Yeah, that's true. Mm. So since we are <clears throat> accustomed to do uh, to doing that in relational databases, and I set myself the goal to look into using Redis as a full-fledged database in the primary database, obviously it's something you have to do once in a while. You can never design upfront your schema perfectly, so you never need to migrate it. All right. Yeah. So a thing which I laid eyes on in the huge feature set of Redis and the Redis uh, modules is Redis Gears. Redis Gears is uh, another level of optimizing, uh, <laughs> of transforming data. Okay. Um, it's another module and it's one which uh, allows you to run code on the Redis server itself. Mm -hmm. So, um, you usually just, you have to retrieve the data, do your transformations, store it back. But if you want to migrate the whole database, which might be gigabytes of data or tens of gigabytes, depending on how much RAM you have, uh, that can be quite inefficient. And also you can fail halfway through. So what do you do then? And yeah. with Redis Gears, you can um, push functions on, on Redis, functions like a normal in the programming sense, push mm -hmm. functions, which use uh, an API of theirs. And um, the code, as I said, runs runs on Redis itself. And you can run that code in a blocking way, which means while that thing is running, no other operations are allowed. So there's no inconsistency of data or there's no changes in the data while your function transforms the data. Okay. And the function, uh, the the API which they have is for now I think Python, but mm -hmm. they implemented the Python uh, API on top of their C API, and they keep mentioning it, mentioning it's extensible, and they are working on Java and then other languages. So yeah. you should be able in the near future to just send your custom Python uh, Python you can do right now, but Java code to Redis 
to your data transformations, to your schema changes, whatever you want, uh, and then just profit from it. And that's what I'm planning to use uh, as data migration or for my data migration. So the way I'm imagining it is uh, I would write my data migration scripts, number them through, uh, somehow I need to keep track which I have run, uh, which scripts I have run already, which haven't run. And mm-hmm. uh, that that's that should be the responsibility of my backend server. That's at least how I plan to do it. And send the ones which are not run to Redis. Let them run, do the thing, and when they are done, send the next one or just uh, continue the startup process. At okay. least that's my current naive approach. Uh, I want to see how that works, and after I'm done, I want to 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 ask what's the official way to do it. But before asking, I want to experiment a bit to have a bit of fun. I'm thinking about uh, projects I've seen where these people have pushed too much into the database or too much of the responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like you can get really crazy with uh, stored procedures in a like a SQL Server. And try to solve everything there, and have have like these kilobytes long uh, stored procedures that do everything. And um, I I have found that uh, this this can lead like to like really bad spaghetti code that's unmaintainable. And uh, interesting that is it it just I I just heard some similarities from there for pushing more and more to the database side and uh, yeah I, i'm not I, sure if it's the same i know exactly what you mean and I, i share your concern there yeah so i don't plan to implement my whole backend into redis but yeah. for data transformation i think that should be a really good solution just mm-hmm. because uh It, the backend shouldn't be involved. Uh, there should be no network traffic at all. So I think, yeah, it's always, you have a lot of tools. The tools yeah. are really powerful and you can really powerfully shoot your leg. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't use them. So as a caveat, uh, I've mentioned so many features of Redis, probably you would never use all of them at once like I'm using. I'm just yeah. forcing myself to use them and to learn. But I fully agree. It reminds me of super old systems. When you said uh, stored procedures, it reminded me of examples from older colleagues at work who told me around around the year 2000 or so, they were working on C++ applications and the whole business layer was implemented as stored procedures on the database and in c they only had some gui or something like that yeah. and it sounded really horrible <laughs> and yeah. i fully agree i, I don't want to go in that direction but just here and there tiny bits of operation uh, of transformations which i think totally makes sense to be run on the database itself you could do but now that i've opened the pandora store uh redis Of course, the good guys, they are. They offer you a lot more. Uh, mm-hmm. They offer you through Redis AI to upload TensorFlow models oh, and boy. just execute them directly on the database. They say, why shift the data from the database to your server where the models are executed mm-hmm. uh, and have unnecessary latency? Just run it on the database. Yeah. 
And they have a really nice example architecture of something similar that I'm doing with tweets, which they have implemented once with Redis modules and data mm -hmm. structures. And the next year, I think 2019, they implemented fully with Redis gear. So the whole backend was implemented as a Redis gear set of functions mm -hmm. onto the database. And um, I don't think they recommend doing it. They just showed it's possible. You get really nice performance out of it. Um, yeah. It's up to you to decide to, to get the balance right between performance and code maintenance. I have the, the feeling someone's going to develop a JavaScript interpreter for that. And then uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to know how this ends. Okay, but yeah, I can see where it's coming from. I, I just have the same fear somehow that moving everything into the database. You know, technology moves in cycles, uh, yeah. like everything's done on the mainframe. Then mm -hmm. personal computers get more powerful. You shift stuff to clients. Then backends get really powerful or they can scale through cloud and stuff like that. You shift it back to the clients. Yeah. Then you find a new way to run your code on the front end and uh, relieve the backends from their uh, load. You shift it back. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's always a back and forth of this responsibility. Right. Is it on the client? Is it on the backend? Is it on the server even? So right yeah. now, I think we're, we're seeing just another movement or shift like that. Yeah, I'm thinking of mining Bitcoins in browser JavaScript. <laughs> Willingly or unwillingly. Yeah. As an ad. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, do you have any other features you want to talk about? Or can we go back to the big picture? There's one more thing on my uh, list. Uh, I promise to keep it short. And that is obviously uh, Redis can work also as a pub-sub mechanism. Uh -huh. You create a topic, Yeah, you publish sense. messages, mm -hmm. everyone who subscribed to that topic receives the messages, the end. So you could, yeah. in your cloud architecture, skip another costly component from your cloud provider of choice yeah. uh, and just use your Redis instance. Since you already probably have it, you might use that as well. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing is uh, they allow this PubSub on keys themselves so yeah like i don't know if you can imagine it or imagine how that works let's say you create that sorted hash set i was talking about with yeah. your ranked uh, hashtags and you have one microservice that just ingests data and populates the hash set mm -hmm. and then you have a lot of other uh, microservices that need the data in a live fashion instead of polling they can subscribe to updates on that hash set, on the key okay. that identifies, not hash set, but sorted set, on the key that identifies that sorted set, and they would get live updates every time something changes, like a hashtag was added. Yeah. So then they decide if they want to retrieve the hash set or parts of it or none of it, stuff like that. So okay. I can imagine that's super powerful. That's allows you to be very efficient uh, in splitting up responsibility in your mm -hmm. ar architecture, who does what and how do the components know that data has changed through PubSub. But you're not limited to listening to key changes. You can just create your, your own topics and then communicate among microservices in your backend, for example, through PubSub. All right. Nice. Yeah. That's 
that was it. Uh, that were all the data structures, <laughs> uh, modules, and features of Redis, which I wanted to mention here. Yeah, nice. What what do you what do you think when you hear of this? Uh, I don't know how, how the English term goes. The the volumes. So is there an English term for that? I can't think of a term. So it's uh, something that solves all your problems. Or the little little translation would be an egg laying uh, wool uh, wool milk pig, right? Yeah. yeah. Something that, that does everything. <laughs> no, well, it's way more than I anticipated. I know it's popular and I'm not sure what it's popular for. Uh, if people are actually using all those features or if they're all just writing keys and uh, a bunch of JSON or images in, in the value and, and be done with that. But you, you mentioned it's uh, all the cloud provider, providers offer this. Mm-hmm. Is it open source free somehow, or, or is there a licensing or uh, enterprise versions? That's a really good question. I think, I don't want to say anything wrong. I think at least in parts, it's open source. Yeah. The reason I'm saying in parts is because uh, there's Redis itself, then there's Redis server, which allows you to load the modules, mm-hmm. and then there's all the libraries, and then there's the Redis enterprise cloud they also have a cloud offering directly from right from, hosting from themselves Labs. yeah 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 it's it's interesting because you create an account you say you want a database i think there's some free tier but mm-hmm. if you want to tweak costs you can say which should be the underlay or the underlying cloud and you can directly say yeah it should be on azure but you're on redis labs on their website and there okay. you're your buying capacity. And then you can say, yeah, but actually use AWS, Azure, or GCP. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Huh. And I think the so same. They don't have servers. Feed. Yeah. I, I, I know they have uh, the three main large cloud providers. Maybe yeah. they also have something on their own. Maybe they don't. I'm not sure. Okay. But coming back to the licensing uh, question, um, I don't the licensing of all these components and uh, services but i think parts of it are open source that's that's what i know i can't okay. say anything more and uh, you've never directly paid license costs for using redis but you i mean you do pay if you if you add redis node on azure then you you pay for that but you don't know if microsoft pays anything for you using that yes okay uh, i'm personally using or so my pet project i'm currently in the process of um, automating it with on azure with bicep because i saw a certain someone using that in their project Uh the way i'm using redis is the cheapest way i could find and that is i'm using an azure container instance Mm -hmm. which is the most basic way of hosting containers on azure Uh, and i'm just deploying one of the pre-built docker images with redis inside Okay. Um, I think it just has one CPU core, one gig of RAM, and it works flawlessly for now for mm-hmm. me for my use case, which is the tweet ingestion and querying pet project. Yeah. And the uh, container instance is quite cheap. It has a lot of uh, included requests and uptime, which for personal projects is way too much. Yeah. I hope Microsoft isn't listening. <laughs> 
right now. So that's how I'm doing it. Instead of paying for uh, the official Redis cache on Azure, I'm using an Azure Container instance. Uh, but there's nothing stopping you upgrading to an Azure Container Apps yep. instance, which is another offering uh, to host containers, and then deploying your Redis containers there. And they would scale. They would allow you to to uh, implement a little cluster if you want to. You can scale up to 30 instances, I think. Each of them mm -hmm. can have up to eight gigs, I think, on ACA. Um, so you can imagine you can put a lot, a lot of data there. Great. Yeah, thank you for for showing me all this. I, I'm completely rethinking some things and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep that in mind the next time I draw boxes of cloud architecture and uh, i know i mean is it do you draw that box when you know there's going to be a performance issue or is it just something you always use without thinking about it i don't have as much experience to confidently go to the customer or to an engineering team and draw my whole architecture with a single box and write the Redis on top of it. Yeah. So I'm not that far. I'm still learning. But the things which I can already say uh, is, yeah, performance is nice. I think no customer will ever uh, frown when they hear about performance on the contrary. But what my main selling point would be, or where I would, the thing I would stress the most would be the, the simpler architecture. You don't need as many services because you can get mm -hmm. away with a single with a single instance of Redis or with the Redis server for for many things. I would say um, at least okay. that's how I would start. Of course, uh, needs change, uh, focus shifts, uh, and your architecture should be able to grow to adapt. But I would just start with something simple, and since this thing has so many tricks up its sleeve. I would not hesitate to use a few of them. Yeah, and I, I'm just thinking um, this re replacing your database with Redis. There's one thing we didn't talk about, and that's not having it entirely in memory, right? I mean, right. What, good, what good is a database that loses everything it knows every time you reboot it? Correct. Yeah, I totally uh, missed that. So there's two ways to do persistence. One is to periodically dump the whole content of your database to disk. Mm -hmm. That's officially supported. They just have a, a command. It's just called dump or BG dump. If you want to do it in background, they go into details in the documentation. They spawn another process. So the main process is not blocked uh, and it just copies the whole content of your yeah. memory to uh, an RDB file on disk. And when you restart your Redis server, it just reads the file, populates the memory, and then your database is up and running. So you can share the file, you can back it up, store it. Yeah put it in cold storage, whatever. doesn't sound transactionally safe, to be honest. I don't know what they offered there. I don't remember. Yeah. And the second way uh, is uh, faster. Maybe that's safer. Maybe that's more up your alley. And that's um, <laughs> an append-only log. So while the memory changes, while the database changes in memory, I should say, they write to disk all the operations that were sent to the database itself. So okay. all the 
increment operation or the all the key add or all the key delete operation instead mm-hmm. of writing the data directly to disk they write the operations and their um, arguments and when you restart your server the operations are just replayed yeah okay and they will eventually restore your memory content maybe there's some snapshotting in between so you mm-hmm. don't want to apply a million operations yeah uh, but depending on what you need if you want to uh, be fast when you start up you might use a, an rdb file where you where you read the whole content at once mm-hmm. or if you want to be fast during operation you just want to save to disk little tiny bits of commands instead of dumping the whole content of your database to disk so it depends you do you want yeah. to do everything at once or just yeah piecewise okay cool now we've covered persistence also yeah, I mean, it's it's important not to lose everything. Of course, when the power yeah. goes out. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I was I was expecting you were gonna uh, you were gonna say that's possible because you did say it was a database. So, yeah, <laughs> I think that's part of database. Yeah, it's something people sometimes <laughs> people, sometimes it's sometimes expect. they expect persistence, right? Yeah, they yeah. like their data. <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for sharing and and uh, opening my eyes here. It, it's it's really good to hear hear about this and then just have that in your head as a as possible option for your considerations. Yeah. Yeah, it's another tool in your tool belt. Uh, mm-hmm. Just consider it. Don't go overboard. Don't switch right. your Postgres uh, database in your current project to Redis just because yeah. it's fast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's the right mindset. Just uh, keep it in the back of your mind and uh, when the moment arises you're going to be prepared you're going to have the right tool yeah all right cool well thanks again i will put uh, links in the show notes we that we talked about the podcasts and if you have anything uh, else i will also put that in there thank you so much marius thanks for having me it was fun it was yes This has been another episode of Dev Talk, and we'll see each other again in four weeks. Bye-bye.